cliffcentral.com. Let us, ladies and gentlemen, turn our attention to the great JJ Cornish, who is, of course, joining us for African Analysis, brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. We'll look at what's happening on the continent. JJ Cornish, how are you, sir? Good day. I'm very well, thanks. How's your father? <laughs> well, JJ, I mean, uh, th- this uh, the story in Australia is a little further than we <coughs> usually go. We look at the continent of Africa, but we've got so much to talk about here today that um, I want to get straight into the situation in Sudan because I'm a little bit confused. I know you you gave us the basics of it the other day, but can you just take us through what exactly is going on there again? Well, the, the fourth ceasefire has failed. Now, the, the, there was a 70-hour um, ceasefire in which a lot of people were moved out. That was extended, uh, but that's that's failed. They've been shelling Khartoum. Uh, 500 people have died in Khartoum, but sadly, at least 200 people have died in that western province of Darfur, once the humanitarian uh, cesspool of the world, and, and that's now yeah. becoming very, very bad again. Uh, is there any chance of peace? Well, the two sides are not saying, you know, the military and the paramilitaries are having at each other hammer and tongs. A civil society group has said, well, you know, the, in this case, democracy is going to be upended in Sudan and the, uh, the military is take, going to take over and remain in control. The United Nations says Sudan is collapsing. And uh, mm-hmm. the various neighbors have come in. South Sudan have come in to try and make peace. Egypt now says it's come up with a proposal, a new draft resolution to bring in peace. But what the United Nations saying, scary, is that about 815,000 refugees are expected to go to Sudan's seven neighbors. Now, you know, if, if things are that bad that you have to seek refuge in Chad or Libya or Eritrea, or South Sudan, or the Central African Republic, you can imagine how bad things have to be. And there just seems to be no respite at this point. Yeah. JJ, uh, <coughs> you, know, almost, you said the fourth ceasefire, and, and I can't help thinking that, you know, there are all those different cataracts on the Nile. And it's almost like they're going for the same number of ceasefires as they went for cataracts on the Nile. And I don't mean to make light of this, but it's very hard for South Africans to understand just how unstable this part of the world is i mean we did have the the you know the the nation of south sudan created not so long ago but sudan has been pretty much a war zone or at very least you could say it was unstable since its inception as a country it's not the kind of place people go on holiday it doesn't seem like it's the sort of place where um you know there's there's regular service where where governments know what the hell's going on where the military aren't always looming in the background. What's the, what's the greater context around Sudan? Is this a country that has the potential to settle down and become a real part of, of you know, the, the, the contrib- contributing part, rather, of Africa? Or is it just a total well, disaster? I, I wouldn't call it that. It, you know, it, it looks – it's heading that way, sadly, right now. But, but Sudan, uh, it's a large country, was the largest country in Africa until it divested itself of South Sudan. Uh, the, the thing is, there in Sudan, the, 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 there's an ethnic mm-hmm. battle, and uh, they don't like to talk about it, but the Arabs control Sudan, and uh, South Sudan right. was African, essentially. And uh, so that was the problem for a long, long time. Now, Sudan, of course, was part of the, the British Empire. Uh, Gordon of Khartoum was killed in, 
in Sudan, you know, in, in the, in the, what is now the presidential palace was the governor general's palace. He died there. Right. So, you know, with the Mahdi there, it, it, it's, it's always had, as you say, this, uh, absolute litany of, uh, problems. I've been out to Sudan, I don't know, half a dozen times once to, uh, observe elections in which Omar al-Bashir, surprise, surprise, uh, won the election. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've been, I've been and taken all over. There are more pyramids in Sudan, I can tell you that, than there are in Egypt. Uh, so, the, you know, that sort of thing. But at the confluence of the White and the Blue Niles, it's strategically placed beyond virtually any other African country. And as you see with those seven neighbors, starting, you know, with Libya, going down to Central African Republic, uh, uh, Chad, South Sudan, Eritrea, uh, and, and, uh, Ethiopia, you know, it's, it, it's really, 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 uh, uh, like the Congo surrounded by so many other countries. And the problem is that if the ethnicity factor becomes a major one and it's a, it plays a very, very big part right now, it's going to, mm-hmm. it could drag those seven countries into war with it. So that is it, the knock on effect, which is so dangerous. JJ, it always interests me when things like this happen to see how many South Africans there are all over the world in these far-flung places doing things. I mean, we had, you know, South Africans, just like you and me in Lebang, teaching English in schools in Khartoum, for example. Um, and now, of course, it becomes our government's responsibility to get those people out. Many of them have fled across the border to Egypt already when, when you know, they started with a gunfire and blowing things up at the airport and so on. But it is interesting that there are always, in all of these bizarre countries, in all of these weird situations, a bunch of ordinary South Africans stuck somewhere in the background. You know, and, and it, very interesting. I mean, my travels around Africa, I once had my my problem with my uh, computer, you know, and I couldn't work it and I didn't know how to work it. And I was using bad language and pointing up at the stars and saying, why aren't you helping me when along comes a guy in a pair of shorts that are far too small and a pair of felt schooner with orange laces and huge big banana fingers. And he said, yeah, give me this and then turned it and book, book, book. And he got my thing working and uh, he was in Tanzania and I then began to speak to him and tried to speak about the kind of majesty of being there and the magic of a South African doing something in in Africa and you know what good you know, the, the reason why you're in there is that you're the only person in south of the Sahara who can uh, field strip a villiers water pump and he looked at me and said no, it's the money. And they make lots right. and lots of money going into Africa. And that is why South Africans are there. That is why uh, Nigerians are there. That is why Congolese are there. You know, the Congolese like to boast that if you go to Cape Canaveral, you will find Congolese working in prominent roles there. Well, South Africa is becoming this way too. We did only have 77 people in Sudan, not mm. thousands like the Brits and the Americans. And it took a, an inordinately long time to get them out. You know, they were saying, oh, the airfield is, is uh, inoperative and the roads are dangerous. Other other nationals were moving along those roads. They were indeed, uh, it was hazardous, and there were people being held up yeah. and held to ransom and that sort of thing. 
that the South Africans took some time. It seems they got them all out, making some joke at the end about all the South Africans plus two Scottish Terriers. So, you know, they, they, they put some humor into it, but it wasn't a funny thing at the time. Now it, it seems that, you know, people didn't have their documents with them and they're now stuck in Cairo trying to get out. But I think that's going to be a consular matter. They'll fix that. And are you, are you happy that our Department of International Relations and Cooperation, DERCO, are able to actually help these people? How yes, I think. You know, it could take some time. I mean, to, to replace a passport could take some time, no doubt about it. Uh, and uh, if these people were traveling and, and, uh, in a moment of crisis, you know, you don't, you should, in fact, when you're abroad, walk around with your passport with you. But these people clearly weren't. So they were taken out, spirited away to safety wow. in Egypt. And it seems now that they're going to have to get new passports. So they're just going to have to uh, wait. It could take maybe a week or so. Uh, although if you and I wanted a passport, it could take maybe a year or so. <laughs> well, here's an interesting question from Yonder before we move on. It says, JJ, I've been following geopolitical issues as most involve a third hand at play. Who is fondling who in Sudan or found what mineral to suddenly spark the fighting? Is there a, an invisible third hand here or is this just the ethnic breakdown that you already uh, explained to us? Uh, mineral rich, there's no doubt about it. South Sudan having all the, the oil and they move it through Sudan to Port Sudan, the oil. The fact is every drop of oil is being bought up by the Chinese. You know, I went into this fabulous hotel on the banks of the Nile thinking, I know I'm not going to get strong drink here, but I can have a lovely cup of tea. I sat down and along came a guy, a Chinese guy came and said, yes. I said, hello, uh, uh, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I've just come to have a pot of tea it's really a beautiful hotel he said no i have to ask you what are you doing at the uh greater china's uh sudan oil company headquarters and i said well (laughs) and he he escorted me out the fact is that the wagner group has been busy in sudan russia is getting more and more and more involved in sudan as they are all over africa so there is the, the the geopolitical issue is is coming into play more and more and that is a very dangerous one uh to have the wagner group anywhere is not a good thing they're operating of course in neighboring C- uh, central african republic and they're looking in chad so uh, the, again if if the Fighting boils over into the neighboring states. That is when we are in for grown-up problems. All right, JJ, let's turn our attention to some other stories because there's quite a lot to talk about this morning. Uh, Zimbabwe, I was just in Zimbabwe over the weekend, and Emerson Nangagwa has uh, been warned that time is running out for an election date um, by the Zimbabwe Independent Electoral Commission. Um, I I bought this for you, JJ. I'm going to make a shirt out of it. Uh, here's Emerson ah. Ngagwa. This is the the you know the the presidential fabric that they they start wearing yeah. around election time. Um, what do you think is going to happen there? Well, you know, I would be I would be very very surprised if uh, he didn't win the election. You know the way the way things are going. <laughs> so I wouldn't I wouldn't be making underwear with that uh, fabric right. right now, no, or not for a little while. He was elected, yeah. of course, in uh, five years ago in August 2018. Now, the next election has to happen within 30 days of that election. And, and so the mm-hmm. Independent Electoral Commission is saying, you better come up with a date right now, because if we're going to have an election uh, between the end of July and the end of August, uh, you know, we've, we've got a plan to do this now. And you will be in violation of the Constitution 
Now, violation of the Constitution is not something that bothered his predecessor terribly much, and we don't no. know just how bad he's going to be. You know, when you talk to Zimbabweans, you must have found that a lot of people uh, are saying, well, you know, things were much better under Robert Mugabe. Uh, but, you know, you, you do get that in all sorts of countries. If you come to South Africa, people say things were a lot better under apartheid, or uh, in Russia, they say things were a lot better under the communist system. Uh, you know, people that are disaffected will be saying things things like that. But Mangagwa's sure. got a big job, a grown-up job on his hands, trying to get to win this election. And uh, he, he's going to need international observers there. I mean, I've been an observer at three Zimbabwe elections, one of which I left voluntarily with the police on my tail because I felt that, uh, uh, that I was really just endangering uh, my, my fellow observers uh, from the Independent Electoral Commission of, of Africa. Uh, yeah. uh, and, uh, uh, but he's got to come up with a date soon. And that is the interesting thing. Why hasn't he done so yet? Uh, is he planning to hold on? Is he planning something nefarious? We don't know. And, uh, sadly, we don't know in Zimbabwe. And you know, in South Africa, we will pay the price because if things go wrong there, they come over our border. When I said I left with the police on my tail, I just made it over the border and took a shelter in a hotel for the night. And the hotel owner showed me how thousands of people literally had walked across her property the night before, having just crossed the Limpopo. Wow. <laughs> JJ, the, um, the problems also, all of these problems, Sudan, what's going on in, in, you know, in parts of uh, the world like Somalia, I mean, these are obviously things that put communities out of uh, action. They, they they force people to seek food and shelter wherever they can get it. Apparently, the UN World Food Program has resumed some desperately needed food aid to Somalia. Uh, it, not a, a long time goes by between the discussions of Somalia on this show, unfortunately. Well, Somalia is actually better news in the sense that, you know, it's the largest humanitarian agency the World Food Program, it feeds something like seven and a half million people and uh, they're, they're reliant on this. This is at unprecedented levels now. But the resumption, in fact, has been in Sudan, where three food, World Food Program workers were killed at the beginning of the violence. And now uh, uh, they stopped just providing food uh, as though you could do that. You know, uh, medical supplies have just got back for the first time since the fighting in Sudan, able to treat thousands of people. The fact is that the medical situation there, the medical system or infrastructure has absolutely broken down. So the fact that the World Food Program now is able to uh, provide food in Sudan is very, very good news. And they've, they've got a pattern in Somalia, how they've been able to do this over the years. They've got a 100 partners in Somalia that uh, help them with it. And that's just something they're going to have to emulate in Sudan and, and get food to the people because right now they'd have no power, no water, and many of them have no food, certainly no medical uh, assistance. Uh, so the situation is, is, is dire. And that's all, all, all up in that part of Africa, which is right now uh, the, the most dangerous and the most undesirable to be in. Well, I uh, thank you for your um expertise this morning and your explanations of what's going on on the continent it's always good to check in with you jj cornish and i hope you'll have an excellent week despite all of this not necessarily good news coming out of the rest of africa but we'll check mm. in with you in a couple of days time
I'm so looking forward to that. Thank you. JJ, Thank you, we JJ. forgot to ask about Kenya, about the, oh. the cults, the cult and all the deaths. I mean, oh, as much yeah, as yeah, the bad yeah. news continues, if there's anybody who knows everything about what's going on down there, I think you should. Yeah. You the should pastor's be the guy, name, JJ. believe it, Labang, the pastor's name is Paul McKenzie. And he's not a Malungu. <laughs> Doesn't, he's never, probably never worn a kilt in his life. He says uh, he broke, he okay. cut that, uh, idea of starving people to death. Uh, some time ago, but he's appeared in court now. And uh, we, as Gareth mentioned, there are more than a hundred bodies being found. Some of them babies or very, very young children. And, and he's on tape as saying to some mum, yes, your child is crying from hunger, but leave her. Uh, this way she will get to heaven. You know, so that oh you, he persuaded people not only to starve themselves to death, but to starve their children. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is, I mean, it's, of course, oh it's God. horrible. It happens in Africa, but this kind of cultism, Deadly cultism is something we've seen all over the world and particularly sure. in mm. the United States. It's just, sure. it's absolutely parlous. That's horrendous. So this guy's name is McKenzie, huh? Paul McKenzie, yeah. Former taxi driver. How do you go from taxi driver to mass cult- murderer? Yeah, mass well, murderer. Let your, let your listeners come in on that one. You, your, your switchboard will now light up. <laughs> All right, JJ, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. you And there's African Analysis, which is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. If you haven't checked out what they're up to, you can go and find out on cliffcentral.com. They do all kinds of amazing things across the continent. They're also trying to get more of us involved in business opportunities in the rest of Africa. And there are lots of those. So if you've got your eyes open and you're paying attention, we will make sure we get JJ Cornish in here at least every couple of days, to inform you on what's happening on the rest of the continent.